Good morning again, everyone. Let's see if this is on. Is that on? Great. Um, It's a joy to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, again this morning. And um, I would just say, I neglected to say this earlier, but we are going to be having another baptism uh, sometime in the next month or so. And if that's something that you would be interested in pursuing and in your life of faith, uh, please let me know or one of the elders know. We'd be happy to talk with you more about that. And of course, we're open to taking uh, new members in anytime. So if that's something that's of interest to you, uh, please uh, contact us about that as well. But we'd love to have have you be more formally part of uh, the church here. So um, be happy to do that. The great thing about uh, preaching on a baptism Sunday is that no matter what I say at this point, uh, we have already experienced uh, the power of God's grace uh, in the lives of people. And so, uh, so I'm thankful for that. And, uh, but let's pray before we uh, look at God's word together this morning. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for another day and for the gift of being together here as the body of Christ. Lord, we pray that you, uh, well, you already have blessed our time together this morning, but we pray you would continue uh, to do so by your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you speak to our hearts Uh, We pray that, uh, Lord, whatever you have to say to us this morning, uh, that we would be ready to hear it and to receive it. Lord, we pray that you would give us your message of grace and truth today. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, The passage we're looking at this morning comes from uh, the first book of Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. And so you can follow along either on the slides above or um, on your Bibles. Uh, But hear with me the word of the Lord. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's it's always great to have baptisms, like, like we said, and um, it's something to celebrate for the person that is being baptized, but it's also something that's good to celebrate uh, for our church body and also something to celebrate in the kingdom of God. So baptism is just a wonderful thing to celebrate all the way around. Uh, one of the things about us here at ICP uh, is that we are uh, what we call an interdenominational church or an interconfessional church. Uh, Preston, our elder Preston Pierce, often says that means we are a mixed bag of nuts, right? Uh, we all come from different backgrounds, different traditions, uh, different theological um, sort of uh, makeups. And it's part of our personality or our DNA as a church. It's part of what makes us who we are. 
Uh, that just as we come from multiple different cultures and nations here at ICP, we come from a variety of different theological backgrounds and traditions. And often that means that we carry with us, as we think about baptism, different views of baptism. We're not going to go into all of that today, uh, but we have different things that we think about it. When should baptism happen? As an infant, as an adult believer, what's the form? Uh, should, we, should we fully immerse? Should we sprinkle? Uh, there's lots of different things that people have opinions about with baptism. But one of the elements of baptism that most traditions generally agree on is that along with signifying the washing of our sins and our death and rebirth in Christ, it also signifies our belonging to the body of Christ. That is part of what is happening in baptism, is that we are joining the body of Christ. We are part of the church. And not that Sam and Sonia were were separated from the church before today, but there is a new commitment on both sides. And I hope you heard that reflected in the questions that we asked them and that also was asked of you, that you affirmed, that we have committed to each other in a different way through baptism and through membership. But also, uh, so what does this mean for them now? What does this mean for them that they are now part of the church? What does it mean for those of us who are already a part of the church, who have been baptized long ago to be a part of the church? Or for those of you who may be considering whether you want to be a part of the church or not, what would it mean for you to be a part of the church? So before we explore these ideas any further, we're going to look at these questions a little bit today. Uh, But before we explore those ideas any further, I want to put two questions uh, up on the monitor. We're going to start with one, and there's going to be four potential answers to each question. Uh, It's a multiple-choice quiz. You'll be graded only by participation, and there will be cookies available in uh, the hall afterwards for anybody who participates, okay? That's your prize if you participate in this quiz, okay? So these questions are just very basic, and their only purpose is to get you to think about how we understand the church, or how you understand the church, the self-exploration questions. That's your only involvement with it. Uh, So it's just for your own edification. You don't need to say your answers out loud. You can tell people later if you want to, Uh, but here we go, okay? Oh, and um, I don't want you to think about it being the right answer. There might be a right answer up there, but just also practically speaking, from a functional standpoint, what is your answer? What do you actually think of when you think of these questions, okay? So first question, what is church? What is church? All right, these are the four, four, there could be other options too, but these are the four I came up with. What is church? Is it a building that you use or that you meet in? Uh, We are in the church right now, right? I used to work for a church where my office was actually in the church building, and I would say, well, I'm going up to the church. I'm going up to the church this afternoon. Uh, Our old flat was right across from a church. We'd say, oh, look at that church over there. What a beautiful church, right? Is the church a building that we use? Okay, that's one option. Is church something that we do on Sunday mornings? Is church something that we do on Sunday mornings? We are, we are having church right now, right? We are doing church right now. Is that what we think of uh, when we think about church? Is church an organization that we are members of or that you are a member of? Just like maybe a, a club or uh, some other sort of social or civic organization. Is it something that you are a member of? Or is church a community that you belong to? Is church a community that you belong to? Okay, so these are just questions to think about, reflect on. What do you, when you think about church, what most comes into your mind when you think about it? Okay, 
All right, here's the next question. Why be a part of the church? And these are the four answers that I thought of, okay? Why be part of the church? Okay, first option, because you have to, all right? Maybe, uh, maybe you are a young person and you are here under duress. You have no choice because your parents brought you, okay? Uh, so you have to. Or maybe, maybe you're a Christian and you're here, you brought yourself here, but you're doing it because you think there's some sort of biblical requirement for it. There's a law that has to be fulfilled. I go to church because I have to. It's, it's a sin not to be in church, okay? So you go to church because you have to, all right? That's one possibility. Uh, you're supposed to. That's the next one. Do you go to church because you're supposed to? You know, maybe it's not a law. Maybe it's not that you're going to have some sort of uh, repercussions with the Lord if you don't come. But there's still some sense of obligation. I'm here because God wants me to be here. Or maybe just because my parents want me to be here. Uh, but it's probably good for me on some level. I'm supposed to be at church. So that's why I'm part of it. Or I'm supposed to be a part of the church. Okay? Next option. You get to, right? This is the positive spin on it. Church is not a must or a have to, but it's a get to, right? Um, this is a life-giving experience for you to be a part of the church, uh, being uh, experiencing fellowship with these people. It's a privilege, and I love it. That's why I am part of church, okay? And then the last one, you just are. You just are, okay? And here's what I mean by that, all right? It's kind of like being in a family, right? Uh, you just are part of it. You were born into it. Uh, you didn't really choose your family, right? Uh, but you don't really get to leave them. <laughs> uh, you just are. You're just part of the church because you are born into it. When you become and put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's part of your identity. You are now part of the church, right? How you respond to being part of it is up to you. How you live within the church is up to you. You could see it as a have to, you could see it as a get to, but it is just part of your identity and who you are. So those are four different options. Again, there could be more answers, but I want you to think about these as we think about it. I ask you these questions because basic as they are, on some level, how we answer them tells us something about our attitude towards church. For example, if you think of church as something that you do on Sunday mornings because you are supposed to versus uh, church being a community that you belong to because you get to, well, that's going to have very different implications for how you go about your life in the church and in the congregation. Your experience of fellowship is going to be very different based on those two different attitudes that you would have it. There are going to be different levels of commitment and involvement for you when you think about it this way. Okay, So that's why I ask those questions. How you answer that is going to say something or it's going to play out in your life in some way in your commitment, involvement in the church. I remember when I was uh, interviewing with the search committee uh, for this pastoral position, um, the search committee did not go easy on me. And they asked me some really tough questions. And uh, Mastona was on the committee, if you know Mastona. Mastona was on the committee, and at one point during one of the interviews, she said, you keep talking about being the church. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? So I must have answered sufficiently enough at the time because I'm here, okay? Uh, but this is going to be what we are exploring over the next few months at ICP, the church. 
What does it mean to be the church? And more specifically, we're going to be exploring the idea of what it means to be the living church or a living church. That is our theme this fall, the living church. Now, the name for this series, it's borrowed from a book, uh, this book right here called The Living Church. It's written by a man named John Stott. Uh, some of you may have heard of him before. Um, John Stott was a, a leader of the evangelical movement in, in the UK and in the United States in the 20th century, um, and he's written a lot of books. I would highly commend him to you as a faithful guide in following Christ. He's someone that is worth knowing. Uh, you will be uh, edified by reading and listening to him. And Stott, was a, he was a British pastor, and uh, though he was well known around the world for his biblical preaching and teaching, but also for the humbly faithful way that he led his life. That was a huge part of his witness. Someone uh, so well known but lived very modestly and humbly. And so he spent uh, about 60 years in pastoral ministry, and he wrote this book near the end of his life after all that time. And so he knows of what he speaks. It's reflections on what it means to be a living church. And so we're going to be sort of loosely following his topics, the things that he brings up and talks about in this. And in the book, Stott lays out what he considers to be the marks of a living church, a church that is alive and thriving. And I've always loved this idea, the idea of the title of this book, The Living Church, because who doesn't want to be part of a church that's alive? Who doesn't want to be a part of a church that's alive? If you have a choice between being a part of a church that's dead or a church that's alive, what are you going to choose, okay? It's, it reminds me a little bit, if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart uh, that came out a long, long time ago, there's this quote where William Wallace, the main character, says, every man dies, but not every man truly lives, right? And maybe the same could be said about the church, right? Every church dies, but not every church truly lives. I don't know, maybe it doesn't work quite as well with that. But anyway, that's what I think of. And that's what we want, to truly live, as individuals, of course. But if we can have that as a church too, well then let's do it. Let's be a living church here at ICP. Living Church 2 works because it uses a common New Testament image for the church being a body. That's how Paul talks about it. We are the body of Christ. The church isn't something that's static. She is a living, breathing organism, a body, which can be alive or dead, which can be healthy or unhealthy. And so the image of the church as a body takes us back to the creation story, even in Genesis 2, where God creates man out of the dust of the earth, and he breathes the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man becomes a living creature. And we see this scene replayed in John chapter 20, when Jesus breathes on his disciples and gives them the Holy Spirit and sends them out into the world, uh, right, to start to build his church. And as we go through this book together, it's good to remember that our life, the, the life of the church, is, is not something that we can bring about on our own. It is a gift of God. God is the one who breathes life into a church. It is only by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit with us that we are a living church. The characteristics that are going to be put before us in this book are what people see when they look at a church that is alive. Is this church alive? Well, what are they doing? Are they worshiping? Are they evangelizing? Are they giving? Are they serving? Are they ministering to one another? That's how we can look and tell if a church is alive. But the life comes from God himself. These signs, these marks of the church that we're going to be looking at, they are signs of life and health. We worship because we are a living church. We evangelize because we are a living church. We give because we are a living church. 
And if one or more of these areas is is missing or neglected in a church, then it might tell you where that church is unhealthy or needs some help in some ways. But it is the Holy Spirit alone who gives us and sustains the life of the church. Amen. Thanks be to God for that. So we want to be praying. The first and last thing we want to do as a church is to pray and to pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to be present and work amongst us as a body. That's the first and last thing we want to do if we want to be a living church. So before we get to the other marks and characteristics of a living church, this morning we're going to be looking at what the church is. And specifically, we're going to be looking at the church's identity and the church's task. And this sermon is going to be a little bit of an, an introductory sermon, a primer to build the foundation for the other ones that we're going to be talking about over the next several months. When we talk about the church, what we find is that we are talking about something that God has brought into existence and that God has created to play a vital role in carrying out his purposes in the world. In other words, the church is an integral part of God's design for the creation. And I like the way that John Stott describes the church in his book. He's responding to the idea of a Christian who thinks that they can do without being a part of the church. A Christian who would say, I don't need other Christians. I can do this on my own. Just me and God. And Stott says that the New Testament knows nothing of this kind of person. An unchurched Christian. For the church lies at the very center of the eternal purposes of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose is not just to save isolated individuals. Hear that again. His purpose is not just to save isolated individuals, but rather to build his church. That is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. That is what God is doing here amongst us today. Stott brings up an important point here that we tend to focus a lot on bringing individuals to faith, on getting people saved. And that is a good thing, certainly. I'm not here to speak against that, but it's easy to lose sight of the bigger picture of what God is doing through the church in the world. Once an individual has put their faith in Christ, they are now part of something that is bigger than themselves. They are now part of the church. They've been born into it. And Stott is talking also, what Stott's talking about here is also what our passage from 1 Peter that we just read is talking about as well. Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter is writing to members of a congregation in the early church who are being persecuted. And he's writing to them in order to encourage them by affirming who they are in Christ. Whereas once they lived the lives of isolated individuals, now they are a part of the people of God. They belong to each other. And they belong to God himself. And they have been set apart for God's purposes in the world. And in communicating to this this to them, Peter draws on passages from the Old Testament to say that even though they may be a young church, they are uh, made up of people who had just recently been far from God, that uh, they are a part of an old, old story. And Peter gives a picture of a new temple that is being built by God, but it's a temple where people are the stones that make up this temple, and God's presence dwells among them now in their community together. God no longer dwells in a building. God no longer dwells in a temple built by human hands, but he now dwells in the body of Christ. That's where his presence can be found. And Peter's trying to tell them this, what, what God is doing with them 
by setting them apart for himself is nothing new, but it's something that God has been doing since Israel's early days. One of the passages that Peter draws from here comes from Exodus chapter 19. As the Israelites were, were setting up camp at the foot of Mount Sinai, they've just been rescued uh, from slavery in Egypt. Moses has just parted the Red Sea and, and brought them through to the other side, and they've run away from the Egyptian army. And here's what it happens as they are setting up camp there. It says, Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, and he said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." And we can go back even further into Israel's history to see that this is what God intended for Israel, even from the very beginning of their existence. When God first made his covenant with Abraham, the great patriarch of the Israelites, he said to them, uh, to Abraham this, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. All of this is to say that, it, that in looking through Scripture, we see that it has truly been God's purpose from the beginning of time to set apart a people for his own possession in order to bring him glory. As Stott said, this is not some accident of history. This is not some afterthought on God's part. This is what God has intended to do. And what God was doing with Israel in the Old Testament, he is now doing with the church in the New Testament era. The people Peter is writing to can count themselves as being a, a people that are set apart for God as his special possession. And now that they have put their faith in him, this is a part of their identity. And we can now include ourselves in this number too, as those that God has called out from the world and has set apart for his purposes in the world. It is part of our identity. We belong to him and also to one another as part of his church. But scripture is also clear in showing that the church has sort of a dual identity. God has called us out from the world. He has, he has made us his special possession. He has set us apart for his purposes. But just as we have been called out of the world and set apart for God, uh, God also sends us back into the world. And that's this dual identity that we are talking about this is part of God's purposes too. And this is what the last part of our passage is talking about today when Peter talks about living among the unbelievers, how we live among the pagans. Because we aren't meant to isolate ourselves from the world, just enjoying the blessing of being God's people. Thank you, God, that you have called me, and I'm sorry for everybody else out there, but I'm going to live with other Christians and we're going to be happy together, which doesn't work if you've ever tried it. It doesn't work, right? Our call, our election is meant for the benefit of the world, for all peoples and all tribes and all nations. God sends us back into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ in order that others might come to know him as well. And this too has been a part of God's purposes from the very beginning. Israel's election and calling was not just for their own benefit. It was in order for God to bless the nations through them. We see this spelled out for us in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. God says this, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, 
that my salvation may reach to the very ends of the earth. And again, we see this as far back as Abraham, where God tells Abraham when he first calls him to go to the land he's going to show him, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Again, we find that God's purposes for Israel in the Old Testament are taken up by the church in the New Testament, and they are carried into the present. We are a part of this tradition. This is our identity as the church. We are God's special possession. We are the people that God has chosen, that God has called out from the world, that he has set apart and built up and then sent back into the world to serve his purposes and to bring him glory. And as the people with this identity, there is a particular task that we are called to within the church, that we are called to fulfill. It's a task that we are called to carry out both within the community as we worship together and outside as we are sent back into the world. And this task is simply to proclaim Jesus, crucified and risen and now reigning as Lord. It's what our passage today refers to as declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light in verse 9. In preparing for this sermon this week, I was surprised by uh, how much this was pointed out as being the primary, if not the sole task of the church in all of the commentaries and books that I was looking at. So, so many of those, by the way, uh, books and commentaries I was looking at. But it was brought up time and time again that this is the task of the church, and it was often accompanied by a warning that the church should be on guard against being distracted from this task by all of the other good things that we could be doing as a church. All of the things that we often take upon ourselves as the church as part of our important ministry. These people are saying, be careful that you don't lose sight of the main task. Theologian uh, John Webster says it this way, if the church is wise, it will give its mind wholly to Jesus Christ the crucified, who was raised, who is now at the Father's right hand, and who appoints his church as his witness to bear testimony to him until he comes again in glory. In the drastic simplicity and purity of that task, the church is to find its calling and walk on its way. This is what we are called to do as the church. This is why we gather on Sunday mornings in order to proclaim Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, reigning to one another, to remind ourselves, the people we have fellowship with together. But it's also what we are called to do as we are sent out into the world, is to proclaim Jesus, crucified, risen, reigning Lord. That is what we are to focus on. And if we could do that well... It would be surprising to see what the results might be, how God is working through that. We've seen that a little bit already this morning in the baptisms that we've had. Friends, our identity is as the people chosen by God to be his special possession, the church. And the task before us is to proclaim Jesus Christ with each other and in the world that we have been sent into to witness to. And we are to remember that Jesus Christ is at the center of it all at the center of this life that we are called to together in the body. His death is what brought the church into existence, reconciling us to God and tearing down the wall of hostility that divided us one from another. This is what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 2. It's because of him that we who were no people are now the people of God. 
It's because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection that those of us who had not received mercy have now received mercy. And now he is the chief cornerstone of the church. He is the one who holds it all together. The one who keeps us and bonds us in fellowship with each other. So then we come back to the questions from the beginning of the sermon. What is the church and why be part of it? And again, I don't want to say necessarily uh, that there is a correct answer to those questions, although I'd say with the first question, maybe number four is pretty clear. Uh, if you only think of the church as a building, you, there may be some deficiency in, in what you're doing uh, within the, the fellowship of believers. But we are a part of this community, right? I think for the second question, that maybe all of them are right on some level. Uh, we are supposed to be part of the church. It is a get-to, but it also is just part of who we are as believers in Christ. We are a part of the church. But what I hope that we've seen here today is that when our lives are found in Christ, that we are a part of his body and that this is God's design for our lives. The church is vital to our life with Christ. The life of faith is not meant to be a solitary venture. We are not supposed to go it alone. This is not the way that God designed things to be. He's called out of the world for himself a people to be his special possession for his glory. The church isn't perfect because it is made up of us. Imperfect, sinful people. And that can be really frustrating at times. And that's why a lot of people say, I don't want to be a part of the church. But... The church is God's, one of God's chosen means to reveal himself to the world. And it really is his gift to us to be a part of it. And so we pray that by God's Holy Spirit that we would love one another as Christ has loved us. And in that way, we might witness to him. And in that way, the church might be a get to or a want to and a place where we find life together in him, that it would be a life-giving part of our faith. So let us continue to be a people who declare his praises to the world, the God who brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray uh, for your blessing as we start this new sermon series. Uh, Lord, that you would bring us to a, a better and deeper understanding of who we are as your people, of what it means to be the church. Lord, we want to be your faithful witnesses uh, here in the world. But Lord, we need you uh, to guide us, to lead us, to fill us with your Holy Spirit in order to do that. We do ask that you would help us to love one another as you have loved us. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would take seriously your call to send us back into the world, to be your witnesses, so that others might see how we live together, and give praise and glory to you on the day that you come to visit us. We ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.